You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. This episode is brought to you by Palo Alto Networks, the leader in cybersecurity. As AI-driven attacks increase, organizations can't afford to have network security that's stuck in the past. Discover how Palo Alto Networks can help you predict what's coming and proactively secure against it with a zero-trust, AI-powered network security platform built to secure whatever, whenever, wherever. To learn more, visit paloaltonetworks.com slash network security platform. Play Ransomware has some new tools. Fancy Bear is out and about. Updates on Sandworm. Ransomware in Russia's war against Ukraine. The U.S. Air Force opens an investigation into the alleged leaker's Air National Guard wing. The Washington Post's Tim Starks joins us with insights on the Biden administration's attempts to better secure the water supply. Carol Terrio chats with Cisco Talos's Vanya Schweitzer about the threat landscape now and tomorrow. And kill nets in the education business with a new hacker course. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Wednesday, April 19th, 2023. Symantec shared this morning their observation of two new tools the Play Ransomware gang is using. The tools include an info-stealer, Grixba, as well as a Volume Shadow Copy Service, or VSS, copying tool. Grixba is a network scanning tool used to enumerate all users and computers in the domain. The tool was developed using a popular .NET development tool for embedding an application's dependencies into a single executable file known as Kastura. Also developed using Kastura was another executable, a VSS copying tool that the researchers say embeds the library Alpha VSS into executables. The Alpha VSS library is a .NET framework that provides a high-level interface for interacting with VSS. The library makes it easier for .NET programs to interface with VSS by offering a set of controlled APIs. The tool allows for threat actors to copy files normally blocked by the OS. The GRU's exploitation of vulnerable Cisco routers has drawn a joint warning from UK and US intelligence agencies. The UK National Cybersecurity Center, the US National Security Agency, the US Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, and the US Federal Bureau of Investigation are releasing this joint advisory to provide details of tactics, techniques, and procedures associated with APT28's exploitation of Cisco routers in 2021. They assess that APT28 is almost certainly the Russian General Staff Main Intelligence Directorate, GRU, 85th Special Service Center Military Intelligence Unit 26165. 
APT-28, also known as Fancy Bear, Strontium, Pondstorm, the Sednit Gang, and Sophacy, is a highly skilled threat actor. The vulnerability Fancy Bear has taken advantage of since 2021, at least, is CVE-2017-6742. Cisco announced the vulnerability in June 2017 and issued patches and mitigations. Cisco Talos yesterday published its appraisal of the threat, stating... Because of the large presence of Cisco network infrastructure around the world, any sustained attack against network infrastructure would likely target Cisco equipment, but attacks are by no means limited to Cisco hardware. In reporting on Russian intelligence contracting documents, samples of which were recently shared with Cisco Talos, it was shown that any infrastructure brand would be targeted— with one scanning component targeting almost 20 different router and switch manufacturers. Cisco Talos also points out that Russia isn't the only nation-state whose intelligence services are collecting in this manner. China has also been active. Much of the exploitation, Cisco Talos says, has been post-compromise, enabled by stolen credentials. Both Cisco and the British and American intelligence agencies who issued the joint warning offer sound advice for reducing risk. Google's threat analysis group this morning published an update on what it's observed recently from Russia's sandworm, or as Google calls it, frozen barents, a well-known group associated with the GRU's Unit 74455. Its activities continue to include intelligence collection, information operations, and leaks of stolen data over Telegram. Google states... As we described in the Fog of War report, Frozen Barents remains the most versatile GRU cyber actor with offensive capabilities including credential phishing, mobile activity, malware, external exploitation of services, and beyond. They target sectors of interest for Russian intelligence collection, including government, defense, energy, transportation and logistics, education, and humanitarian organizations— one of Frozen Barrett's favored modes of gaining access to its targets is exploitation of vulnerable XM mail servers. Citing other research by Google's Mandiant unit, breaking defense reports that Russia's GRU has increasingly turned to ransomware. This is read as either a sign of weakness or as a possible misdirection, shifting attention away from Russia's military intelligence service and toward conventional, financially-motivated criminals. The Secretary of the Air Force has directed the service's Inspector General to open an investigation into compliance with safeguards for classified material at the 102nd Intelligence Wing, the organization to which Airman First Class Jack Teixeira, the accused Discord Papers leaker, had belonged. Air Force Secretary Frank Kendall appeared before the Senate Appropriations Defense Subcommittee yesterday to explain the ongoing investigation, Air and Space Forces magazine reports. Secretary Kendall said in his testimony, There is a full court press going on about this. We are all disturbed about it, and we are working very hard to get to the bottom of it and take corrective action. And finally, we return to developments in the cyber phases of Russia's war against Ukraine. The hacktivist auxiliary Killnet says it's been up to more than its now familiar woofing about having paralyzed NATO infrastructure, having taken the war to the collective West, and so on. The usual busy work of cyberspace. 
We saw yesterday that they were offering various data for sale, but the information they say they had was apparently kind of a drug on the market, attracting few rubes to Killnet's virtual snake oil show. But they have other things on offer. On April 4th, they announced they will be hosting an online hacking masterclass. Applicants are required to pay $500 in cryptocurrency and can expect to learn nine subjects. DDoS, Google AdWords Arbitrage, Forgery, Carding, OSINT, Pegasus, Social Engineering, Methods of Cyber Warfare, and Diversion in the Network. The hacktivist auxiliaries have also sweetened the deal. Anyone who buys into their class gets free access to the NATO cyber training materials they stole. In addition to all of the material, they promise private video lessons, written manuals, personal communication with the instructors 24-7 for two weeks. They will also prepare an updated methodology for their courses every 30 days for a year. And membership has its benefits. You too could become a Kilnatir. They say particularly active students will be invited to our team. There is no set start date, but Kilnet claims the classes will begin when they've reached 2,000 applicants. The course is offered in English, Russian, Spanish, and Hindi. We recommend against signing up, but if you do, be sure to leave a digital apple on the remote teacher's virtual desktop. Features like that. Class dismissed. Coming up after the break, The Washington Post's Tim Starks joins us with insights on the Biden administration's attempts to better secure the water supply. Harold Terrio chats with Cisco Talos's Vanya Schweitzer about the threat landscape now and tomorrow. Stay with us. In the complex world of enterprise identity, securing legacy web apps at scale can be daunting. Strata Identity makes it simple. With Strata, you can effortlessly integrate non-standard apps with any identity service, like MFA or SSO, with zero coding and zero hassle. Designed by identity architects for identity architects, Strata works with every vendor, standard and app architecture. This means your apps can now speak modern protocols and integrate seamlessly with your chosen identity services. From securing on-prem web apps to migrating away from outdated identity providers or consolidating them, Strata helps you keep your complex access policies as you modernize your identity infrastructure and get rid of technical debt. Join leading organizations like 3M, Dallas County, and CIBC in securing your apps with Strata. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity security priorities, and receive a complimentary pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations with over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. everybody want to take a few minutes here and talk about our sponsor splunk you know you need to keep operations humming around the clock but potential disruptions are everywhere 
Splunk helps you predict problems and find and fix issues fast so you can reduce risk and ditch downtime. The world's largest enterprises rely on Splunk's unified security and observability platform to become more efficient, resilient, and innovative. With Splunk, you can react quickly, evolve faster, and be ready for anything. Stay ahead of disruptions. Learn more at splunk.com slash resilience. Our UK correspondent, Carol Terrio, recently spoke with Vanya Schweitzer from Cisco Talos. Here's their conversation. So, listeners, today we have a veteran, a senior veteran. <laughs> oh my God, it came to that. <laughs> Mr. Vanya Schweitzer, Cisco Talis threat researcher. And he's also someone I've known for probably forever, like a brother from another mother. It's like, I, w- I was just thinking about it yesterday, 25 years, Carol. Wow. <laughs> Quarter of a century we've been in this business, yes. It's the silver tsunami. <laughs> I think you worked in the labs the entire time, haven't you? More or less, yes, yes. I started uh, with uh, Sophos, an, an antivirus and threat detection company. Then I moved to Hewlett Packard, and now I'm Cisco Talos for the last six years. I started as a very junior virus analyst in Sophos Lab, so I get to do all sorts of. Uh, let's say, interesting and less interesting work throughout my career. And then somehow as you build the experience, then they allow you to get out and and present your work and experience to wider audiences. It's cool. Okay, so first I thought we could hark back to the old days because we have listeners that weren't around, are not as old as we are, right? (laughs) And, And you have really such a breadth of experience. So if we go back to the early 2000s, like the, the landscape changed completely from then. So can you, do you, can you remember what it was like then? What were the big security considerations of the early 2000s? Yes. Um, I think at the time, Windows 2000, Windows XP was just about coming. The biggest threats was between email spreading, malware, like using various Word documents to automate Outlook to spread, things such as, I don't know, Melissa or I, I love you virus. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and then, of course, they were the one that started exploiting vulnerabilities in Microsoft operating systems, which at the time was were not very secure. And, and it was very easy for attackers to find vulnerabilities. So they used those to automatically spread malicious code through as many machines as possible around the world. So I think the last time we saw something similar was was with WannaCry, for example, that which was six years ago or so. Yeah. And they used to have a lot of that stuff. There was a lot of mass mailing problems as well, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Which kind of hasn't disappeared today, but uh, it's it's a it's a different approach or uh, uh, of that the attackers are taking, I think. Yeah. And and I don't remember back then that it was really financially motivated. Well, there were the scams, weren't there? There were the uh, stock scams that existed then, too. That was big. Yeah, there there was spam. There was a pump and dump spam through through email where the the spammers would buy some really cheap penny stock and then they would try to send this secret text to to let the the recipients of the email know that this uh, stock will increase in value. So they will try to artificially inflate the price of the, the stock uh, and then they sell it on the higher prices and then they make make money. 
And now most of the threats are certainly from the cyber criminal world uh, are, are focused towards making money for the, the actors behind them. Yeah, because then the big, the malware back then seemed to be more about either making a point or trying to distribute as far and wide as you could in, so, in a short period of time, almost like cat and mouse games with security firms. Would that be fair? Yes, I, re I remember the time when, when we were all more or less in, still in one lab uh, and we we had various shifts we had to cover. And so you were had to be on call because mm. almost every time during the night or on Friday, of course, during the evening, <laughs> there will be some major outbreak that we would have to uh, contain as soon as possible and release some updates, signatures that will detect them. Okay, what about now? So now the landscape has changed completely. So the biggest threats we're seeing, what would you say they are? I would say ransomware certainly is the ones that, that come to, to mind as, as the one that affects most of the users and it has the most crippling effect to organizations and people in kind of equal way. But the, the, the second trend is probably those um, information stealers that install on the system and then therefore try to find confidential data, username and passwords for, from the user to upload them to the, the attacker controlled environment. So therefore they can reuse them in some other systems to steal cryptocurrency wallets or maybe get some credentials for, I know, banking, internet banking or, or so on. Anyway, that that will allow the, the attackers to to make some money from it. And there's also all the phishing scams as well. So when we used to have pump and dump scams, it's now much more about uh, robbery, right? Romance scams and, you know, CEO scams like, you know, whaling and all that kind of stuff. Absolutely. The, the business email compromise, you know, where, where the, the attackers are, are able to, to get into one company's system and, and the, then they can uh, intercept emails that are sent by the real partners and they respond as they respond, as somebody else will respond from the original company and they instruct them to make some wire transfer to some other bank and, and uh, a banking account. And, and then they, they delete any emails that's, that's coming from the partner paying that money. And mm. So that, that can last for some time. And, and those, those uh, business email compromises can also be detected quite late in, in kind of, not in days, but it, rather in months usually. And I guess, I guess my big question, like now that you've shown, like you knew what happened to, you know, 20 years ago, you know what's happening now. What's the future? Like, you know, like I kind of think part of me thinks like way back 20 years ago, we didn't have very secure systems, but the, the threat landscape was much more innocent than today. You know, there was a lot less players and actors because there wasn't the money angle that was strong. And today we've got threats everywhere, but there's loads of security products everywhere. Do you think we're like safer now and we will be safer in the future? <laughs> Do you think, you think this is going to carry on? I, I, I think... Despite all this news that we are hearing, overall that we are safer, and and I think hmm. when I, when I look at the the volumes of malicious files coming in, I, they are on a really slow slow decline, uh, and there there will be repeating. You know, there will be skilled uh, actors, skilled actor groups, even state sponsored malware spreading around. But I think. We'll probably be more and more secure as we develop new methods of 
say multi multiple factor authentication uh, all these systems that that you allow you to not just prevent malware but also detect it within your environment when when something like that happens so i think that the security has increased overall despite all the the bad news we we've been hearing over time there we go a rainbow in the sky <laughs> that is cloudy with threats manish white sir uh cisco talos threat researcher thanks so much for talking Thank you. Grandpa. <laughs> this was Carol Terrio for The Cyberwire. It is always my pleasure to welcome back to the show Tim Starks. He is the author of The Cybersecurity 202 at The Washington Post. Tim, welcome back. It is always my pleasure to return to the show. <laughs> well, thank you. Uh, in today's uh, 202, you write about some pushback that the Biden administration through the EPA is getting uh, in their attempts to uh, secure some of the cybersecurity elements of our water supply. Unpack what's going on here, Tim. Yeah, so this is this is pretty noteworthy because you know you know one of the constant themes of of the newsletter and that you and I have talked about a lot is is the the difference of the Biden approach uh, on on cyber and wanting to be more regulatory, or you know depending on how they're how they're talking about it, uh, more minimum baseline standards or or things that sound lo- sound less scary to Republicans, um, <laughs> and so they have put in place in March this memo the EPA did saying. Uh, we now expect you to, when you're doing these sanitation surveys under the Safe Drinking Water Act, we expect you to include cyber assessments. And this this was controversial with industry. It was certainly controversial with at least some of cyber official, some cyber industry types. By industry, the first case, I mean, you know, the, the people who are working in the water business. And now we've seen the other shoe drop, which is that that there is an actual attempt in court to stop this by by a, a trio of Republican state attorneys general. They say this intrudes on states' rights. They say it also, interestingly enough, it takes away their power, but also puts too much in their own hands. It's there's sort of, sort of an interesting argument that they use there. Hmm. I'm not I'm not being facetious about the argument. It's just an interesting contrast, and in like it's taking things away from them and giving them things they don't want at the same time. So uh, it, you know, it's not necessarily surprising this was going to happen. I think probably the administration anticipated it, even if they didn't say so. I think it's something that they were expecting. I don't know. I don't have a good sense of how the court might rule on it. You know, it's a, it does seem like they've taken uh, an interpretation of a law and, and, and been more liberal about how they're applying the law in this case, the administration has. So it'll be, it'll be entertaining to see what's, what's going to happen here. Yeah. Is the pushback from the states primarily coming from a kind of an unfunded mandate point of view? Well, that's another one of the things they brought up, yeah. And and I think this is not, again, not to cast aspersions on anybody, but but some of these attorneys general uh, have been somewhat uh, more of an activist variety than than I, I think of when I think of some attorneys general. They have, they have pushed things like a lot of things that the Biden administration has, has been has been a, a bugaboo for the Republicans on. So things like you know they're they're they're, they're they, they, I think the, the the lead party in this is the Missouri State Attorney General. He's been one mm-hmm. of the lead he's been the lead guy, if not one of the lead guys, on the allegations that they're trying to pursue uh, that the Biden administration has been censoring conservatives on social media platforms. Just to give you a sense mm-hmm. of some of the approach of some of these attorneys general. So perhaps looking for a fight here beyond the, the actual policy itself. Oh yeah, I think that's. I think that I don't even think that they would probably deny it if you asked them that. Yeah, uh, I hmm. think they've. I think they've quite quite said it in some of their press releases on some of these issues that they they want to take the fight to the Biden administration. 
And what sort of timeline are we on for this playing out? Oh, gosh. You never know with the courts, right? Uh, yeah. Could be years. Okay. Um, you know, I, I will say, you know, that that uh, there has been some relatively swift progress in that, that a lawsuit I just mentioned before uh, as it pertains to the uh, social media and Biden administration interactions. They've gotten a lot of people into court to talk about these things. And I think I think they consider some of some of these steps a success, even if they don't win the lawsuit. You know, they, they considered a big victory that they that they had Biden administration officials and social media company officials testify in court. So I think if if, if they end up with some of that and, and it, it makes the administration look bad, I think they'll be happy with it. And they've gotten some of that um, out of that, that, that first lawsuit. Before I let you go, I, I would love to get your take on uh, the story that uh, we covered yesterday where Microsoft has updated their uh, naming system for threat actors. Uh, Microsoft says that this is going to provide more clarity uh, more intentionality, I suppose. Um, uh, do we need more ways to name threat actors? <laughs> That's, that seems to be a common react reaction to folks in industry. Yeah, I mean, I think. Uh, okay, so let me let me give Microsoft the slight benefit of the doubt on this. Um, you know, they they they're at least not confusing issues with their with their past names. I mean, they're, they're switching naming systems. They're not adding names on top of. But mm -hmm. of course, that's a whole new thing that people have to understand. You, if, if anybody was used to Microsoft calling it Phosphorus, they're going to have to figure out, wait, what is it called again? And they'll have to note, add a note in every single one of these things. It's a, this is a big source of frustration for, for reporters, um, at least myself, because yeah. you want to give readers a sense of who you're talking about. And every time I... Every time I write about one of these threat groups, I have to give five or six names, also known right. as. Yeah, um, it's same, it's, same here. Same here. I would, I would love to be able to give readers the, you know, the the this is this this is this group, and that's it. But you know, I think there's a somewhat plausible explanation. First off, there's the there's the less generous uh, approach, which is to say that this is just about marketing. Everybody mm. wants to use their names, and they want their names in the media. The second thing to say that that I think is at least somewhat accurate, uh, and Microsoft mentioned this to me this week and they've mentioned it in past stories, as have some other cyber companies when they've been asked about this, is they, they don't know exactly what everybody else is seeing. They can look at what, what the other companies are, are saying and they can see how much it overlaps. But sometimes they have different insights into who's doing what and they'll say something like, you know, APT35 is approximately phosphorus. They won't, you, know, you won't necessarily say that they're 100% the same. And the fact that there are subgroups within subgroups also makes things complicated. You know, Lazarus Group is more of an umbrella name. Charming, Charming Kitten, AK, what are they now? Mint Sandstorm? <laughs> <laughs> right, right. And they now all the bears. <laughs> you know, <laughs> they have subgroups too. So, you know, I, you get it. I get it to a certain degree, but I really wish it wasn't this way. Yeah. I, I can't help wondering if, if this would be something that we could perhaps turn over to CISA and let them... Head, head the charge so that it wasn't an organization that had a, a marketing component uh, in play. Yeah, that might be nice. And there is a, you know, there's, there are groups that combine into membership some of these cyber threat researchers. So maybe they could, you know, smash their heads together and make them come together, like, you know, put them in the room and say, hey, only one name comes out alive. Right. <laughs> one name to rule them all. <laughs> all right. <laughs> Tim Starks is the author of the Cybersecurity 202 at the Washington Post. Tim, always a pleasure. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. We 
with over 8,000 threat hunters analyzing over 65 trillion signals daily, Microsoft works tirelessly with the federal government to keep our nation's data secure. This 30-plus year partnership is driving mission innovation that is secure by design. Whether optimizing your existing defenses or tackling advanced threats with AI, Microsoft gives you the intelligence and the automation you need to defend at mission scale. Let's work together to stay ahead of emerging threats and secure your mission anywhere. Learn more at aka.ms slash fedcyber. That's aka.ms slash fedcyber. And that's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. The Cyberwire podcast is a production of N2K Networks, proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. This episode was produced by Liz Irvin and senior producer Jennifer Iben. Our mixer is Trey Hester, with original music by Elliot Peltzman. The show was written by John Petrick. Our executive editor is Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Managing the requirements for modern security programs is increasingly challenging and time-consuming. Enter Vanta. Vanta gives you one place to centralize and scale your security program, quickly assess risk, streamline security reviews, and automate compliance for ISO 27001, SOC 2, and more. You can leverage Vanta's market-leading trust management platform to unify risk management and secure the trust of your customers. Plus, use Vanta AI to save time when completing security questionnaires. CyberWire daily listeners can get $1,000 off by going to vanta.com cyber. That's V-A-N-T-A dot cyber. Vanta.